You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tesla first. Another episode of Millennial Money. We've got Graham, Andre, Jack, and Jeremy here today. We're going to talk about Jeremy's favorite stock picks. (laughs) Then we're going to talk about how Jeremy's Tesla got destroyed. Brand new plot. I don't know, Model S Plaid or whatever. And yeah. then we'll talk about Bitcoin stocks and, and I don't know, other drama going on, like, I don't know, Tattoo Chef or something like that. But then we'll keep that towards the end. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Jeremy, what's what's up with this sponsor you got for us? <sighs> well, yeah, so Molly Fool, we did a partnership with them for the past uh, few weeks, and this is my big week. So each week we've been doing five stocks, our five favorite stocks for the next uh, few years. Let's put it that way. And... Um, yeah, so my stocks are up today. I know that's what you guys have all been waiting for because uh, if we think about it, if this is a competition, let's say hypothetically, Kevin's stocks, he's probably he's probably already sold out of those stocks and on the new stocks, okay? Andre, you know, he probably didn't even pick stocks. He probably picked cryptos. Graham, he's got some grandma stocks. So, you know, I know what you guys have been waiting for. So check out the pin comment. Check out the link in description. Find out my stocks. And the cool thing is, Motley Fool gave their opinion on my five stocks, which I always enjoy an in-depth response to uh, my stock picks. So check that out. Pin mm-hmm. comment. Thanks, Motley Fool, for, for sponsoring us today. We appreciate you. And uh, everybody check that out. So, Jeremy's top five, just a spoiler alert, is TTCF, 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 Tesla. <laughs> and, and their response is sell, sell, sell. I'm kidding. Sell, 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 sell. You guys weren't supposed to give them away, okay? No. It's, it's not oh. even Tesla. It's Tesla Q. After oh. <laughs> oh, speaking about Tesla Q, after they broke my Tesla, I should be in Tesla Q. My goodness, guys. What oh, happened? What you happened just took to delivery. that? Oh, yeah. Wasn't this like a brand new like $100,000 car? Brand new $100,000. $140,000. Thousand dollars, Jeremy. Well, okay, so you know, I want to make sure, uh, you know, te- uh, Kevin, uh, you know, makes his he makes his money on his Tesla call. So I figured, let me buy the highest margin product for Tesla, the mo- the Model S Plaid. So get the car last Tuesday, amazing. Drive it to Arizona, amazing. Uh, take my dad out for his birthday weekend. We're going all over town, having a good time. Sunday, go to drive the car out of the driveway. And it's just like nothing works, power steering, anything. So I'm like, what the heck? Try to do resets, try everything. So 
is not working. So we end up having to schedule Tesla to come pick up the car. So a tow truck comes Sunday night, picks up the car. We don't hear anything until today. And what I found out was rodents of some kind chewed up the wiring inside, uh, you know, some, some of the parts of the car. And they chewed it so bad that, you know, it totally got frayed. And at first I was like, this kind of almost sounds like some baloney, some BS. And so I was like, can you please, you know, send me some pictures? They sent me pictures. It looks legit. And also I will say at this house, they have been rodents spotted on the exterior of the house and digging holes under our walls and things like that. So we call those rodents tattooed chef short sellers, or we just call them rodents in general. And yeah, that's what I get for parking the car outside. And is your warranty going to cover that? Or how does Tesla take care of something like that? Nope. I got to pay for that out of pocket, which is $412. I know. I wish they charged you 420. Just imagine that. Yes. 420 is 420 69. That would have been amazing. That would have been perfect. But it is what it is. It's frustrating to have to pay anything out of pocket when you got a brand new car. But yeah, they won't cover that. And I will say Tesla service, I've been, you know, I've had to use them many times over the past two years and they've always done a great job. So I have no reason to like fight them on this, you know, uh, because they've always, they've always treated me good and they've always come out and fixed things when they got to. And they've, I've never had to pay for anything. It's the first time I've ever had, ever had to pay for something with one of my Teslas. How does Tesla determine its rodents? Like, how does it, is it just like looking based on these bite marks, these are rodents. Like, yeah. (laughs) So the the, the Tesla technician down there has supposedly been working with Tesla since the beginning of time. So he's supposed to be an expert. And uh, he said he's seen that happen before. So, and I mean, if you look at the pictures, it looks like, you know, I can, I can maybe pull them up here. It, it honestly looks like uh, a rodent was chewing through it. So let, let's put this up here. I'm not sure how well you guys can see that there, but. Um, oh, wow. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the wiring there. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, it looks like there's definitely something that went up there and just gnawed away at it. Yeah. Huh. So anyways, uh, I can get the car back whenever. So that's good news. The problem is I don't have a $412. Go ahead. Are you getting it back in Vegas or Arizona? No, I'll get it back in Arizona. So ah, okay. yeah, I just need to get a loan for that $412. And then do you, do you guys have any money I could borrow by chance? Uh, oh, I'll send it right over. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> More Kevin's going to give you the, the money from his margin account. <laughs> <laughs> What's oh, the interest rate? Why are you in service so much with your others? Because you said you, you've been, you've experienced service a lot. Well, yeah. Well, you know, Tesla sells lemons. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, my, my car hasn't been in service with like for i don't know minus 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> no so you know one time the tesla x uh doors with the falcon wing doors they had to get fixed which that is a known problem those doors are mm. super complicated and then one time the x battery went bad one time the three battery went bad and one the other 12? Time, what's that the 12 volt battery yeah correct yeah okay, not, my, the, not, the, not the main battery. My 12 volt battery went out on monday and Tesla service replaced it. And now I have a flat tire. So now it's getting towed to Tesla service. <laughs> oh, how? So how I wasn't kidding about T minus 20 minutes. They're 20 minutes away. <laughs> Shoot. How, how, how old are those tires you got on it? 
You know, I don't know. Uh, actually, they they can't have more than let's say replace the tires at twenty eight thousand. I'm at thirty six thousand now, um, so they they can't be that. You know, it's not an. It might just be a wear thing of of them sitting there through COVID and me not using them or something. I don't know. Or maybe somebody stabbed it again. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, that was unfortunate, Kevin. Andre yeah. Graham, have you guys had any issues with your Tesla? Had I ever have it serviced? Gosh. I feel like such an amateur. I don't have a Tesla. <laughs> I thought you had the Y, Andre. You haven't got your Y. Has it gotten delivered? No, not yet. Wow. No, I'm a Tesla wow. non-owner. Oh, my gosh. What about you, no. Graham? No, I, I've had zero issues. The one issue I did have is when I bought full self-driving, I needed a, a, a hardware update. So they actually had to come and install it. They wanted me to go in person. And uh, I had – I sent – oh, you know what? Somebody reached out. I made a video buying it and saying, like, oh, I'm kind of disappointed because, it, you know, I can't do this without this update. I didn't know. Someone emailed me from Tesla having seen that video, and they said, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it for you. They wanted me to go in. I was like, it's really hard for me to get out during the day. Can someone just come here? And they said, yeah, no problem. And they sent someone out the next day. The dude was there, just took 30, 45 minutes, and uh, that was done. It's fantastic. That's cool. That was it. Hmm. Kevin, I really like – Kevin, I really liked your uh, Zillow analysis. I thought that was really great because <clears throat> we pretty much all made Zillow videos. But I, I liked so. So for anyone not in the know, we did that Zillow video about Zillow buying real estate over asking. And now Zillow stopped buying houses. And so there was a lot of rumors going on that the market is about to fall or something, you know, foreclosures, defaults. So a lot of rumors started. And I really liked how you kind of debunked it, which is. Uh, man, I appreciate was, it. Yeah, man. What was yeah, your reason? I, you know, I hadn't seen the video yet. Well, what pissed me off, uh, uh, I'll give you a quick little preview. Uh, what pissed me off is yesterday somebody sent me a video and goes, this is it. This is the beginning of the end. And it's this video where this dude literally reads the headline of the article. And he's like, foreclosures up 62%. And then goes, hmm, when have we seen that before? And then goes to 2007. And goes, oh, foreclosure's up 67%. That's it. Y'all know what's next. And, and it's like, my gosh, you freaking idiot. Uh, and, and so that inspired that video. Imagine God. if that's the same guy who said, what if they piled <laughs> in the houses in there, the TikTok yeah. guy? Hey, I needs to come out of the woodwork now. Hey, I got a lot of emails from people saying like, oh, my house got bought up at, you know, 10% over asking. Yes. So it's interesting. Someone, believe, someone also said, it, this could be the same person, but someone also reached out to me and said that he just sold his house on Zillow and got mm. $50,000 over what another agent just quoted him. Because I don't know if it's the same guy, like go to all of us, but it right. made me question for a moment, like, hmm, maybe I should just go and, and type, you know, put my house up on Zillow, just see what they offer. I mean, if it's that good of an offer, maybe, I mean, it's just, it's tempting. So, so Kevin, what are they losing? Like $30,000 on a house right now per, per purchase? <laughs> yeah, they dress it up. They make it seem like they're profiting somewhere around, uh, let's see. I want to say the number was somewhere around, like, they may, try to make it seem like they're, they're profiting $20,000, $25,000 per house. But you got to figure they're spending almost all of their profit that they make it seem like they're getting on advertising to get these houses. So, well, I took like 60% of their advertising budget. And when I applied that to the homes, they were losing about $30,000 per home. Uh, and, you know, when you add into that, 
the fact that they're having trouble getting contractors and vendors to do the work. Now you have higher holding costs. You have interest rate risks, market risks. Uh, you know, they're just going to set themselves up for bankruptcy if they have too many homes and then all of a sudden the market shifts and they'll be screwed. You know, do you imagine if they have uh, imagine they have 8000 homes in the process and then all of a sudden the market tanks to where all of them lose 30 grand of value or something on like 8000 homes or, or even more, you know, $50,000 in value. I'd be a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, in short, the reason they stop buying is because holding costs get too expensive and because contractors are just a pain in the butt to find right now because everyone's pretty much bad or not working, which is. Yeah, construction is a my- horrible business. Mm-hmm. Hor- horrible, horrible business. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's toxic. I don't yeah. recommend it to anyone. <laughs> I, I said this before in a video, probably almost four years ago now, that it would be almost impossible. For one of these companies to be able to buy and flip these homes on scale, like uh, like what Zillow was attempting to do, it, it's such a niche market. Every neighborhood is different, and what gives like the the mom and pop investor almost an advantage is that they're able to build out a small little team. They're able to build out the infrastructure per neighborhood, and really know the market that a company just they can't do at scale. And they would have to be like some Walmart of basically. Um, contractors in every in every location to be like all right we're just going to do this but every house is different and the time it takes uh to give it the attention to detail i'll be like okay well this staircase we got to do it this way this door we're going to do it this way every neighborhood's going to be different there's not a template that could easily be fixed so i'd say the only the only way to do it really is probably what blackrock is doing in a way and just developing their own rentals or buying them at scale and that's it that's really the only way i think that uh, these companies are going to be able to do this so you're saying we should buy all homes to make it even harder for starter investors to get starter, starter home buyers to get in. We should Prefer- just buy them all out. Yes, preferably you pay cash, 20% over asking. And then when you own enough, you could raise the market value on that last home and then profit. <laughs> oh, Kevin, so so you're you're basically saying that this guy, well, you you said he's an idiot, first off, which I think is very disrespectful, Kevin. But anyways, uh, I think it's disrespectful that, of him. <laughs> is, is that all he said, though? That's his whole point, like 67 percent, 67 percent. Did he have anything else? Because I think it's an interesting subject. I just don't know if that was literally all that was there as far as that. Goes. No, they dragged it out to like a nine minute video. But if you watch the video, that was the gist of the foreclosure argument. Then they said forbearance is ending. And, uh, you know, then this this was literally they're like. Well, here's this article. You know, Alf, you think the foreclosures numbers are bad. Well, if you then look at how many forbearances are ending, there are 1.5 million households that are losing their forbearance benefit. If all of those homes go into foreclosure, oh my gosh, the market might crash. It's the most stupid argumentation I've ever heard in my life. 100% of of nothing ever happens. You know, it's just, it's it's so dumb. Wow. Yeah, Did you guys so, have – go ahead, Jeremy. I, I was just going to ask Kevin, you know, like, um, you know, l- let's say hypothetically we were back in 2005, 2006, and you had all the knowledge you have today. Do you think you could have seen that housing crisis coming, and why do you think you could have seen it coming or not coming? <laughs> well, uh, so uh, – I I got started right in the in the in the midst of it, uh, like uh, right there around nine. Eh, so probably like right after the the big bulk of like the Lehman Brothers and that, and uh, everybody was still shell shocked from it. Uh, but what people were saying 
uh, at the time was that it was so ridiculous uh, that essentially uh, as agents, they would have clients come to them and say, hey, I'm a teacher. And they'd get approved for a $900,000 loan with no paperwork or documentation on a loan that was 0% interest or in some cases negative, uh, like as a teaser rate, right? Just to get them to get in for the payment because they couldn't even afford the property taxes for the property. But don't worry, because prices are only going up, you'll be able to refinance in six months. So when your interest rate adjusts to 8% in six months, don't worry, you'll just refinance. Everybody knew what was happening. The people, I don't want to say everybody, but I would say the vast majority of people knew they were getting into shady products. Uh, Lenders knew people were getting into shady products. Agents knew they were getting into shady products. Appraisers were just agents' friends who get called up by an agent. Uh, Hey, you know, can you do another one for me? Yep, sure. What number do you need? Yep. All right. We got you. You Every possible check and balance was broken. The red flags were all over the place. Uh, And so a person that I've regularly worked with is my father-in-law, who was a broker during that time. And uh, we've gone through scenarios of, here's what the financing looked like. Here are some of the contracts. Look at all the red flags. So at least, like you said, knowing what I know now, golly, absolutely. I mean, would I like to say I would have known it like Michael Burry? Of course. I don't know. I would have probably just been an agent, and and I don't know how much of an investor I would have been. But uh, yeah, it sounded like a complete cluster F. And it sounded extremely obvious that this wasn't going to go on forever. Yeah. So you're, you're mainly blaming on variable rate interest rates. Oh, well, no, no, no. It's, it goes so deep beyond that. It's a subprime lending, right? So people who not only can't afford the payment, but people who have horrible credit scores, people who state their income, stated income loans are like, oh yeah, I make $800,000 a year. Okay. No proof provided, right? So you got stated income loans, you got bad credit loans. You've got, uh, in some cases, dead people were getting loans because there were poor, uh, uh, you know, checks and balances for who was actually getting loans. Uh, the appraisals were rigged, and the entire game was rigged. Uh, then beyond that, you had the neg am loans. In some cases, where people were paying basically less principal uh, than what they should have on a thirty-year loan, so their loan balance instead of shrinking was actually going up. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, every potential. Avenue was a disaster uh, in, in 2006, hmm. 7, and 8. It was pretty obvious, especially for the institutional investors. So like the Michael Burry Big Short, like this was pretty obvious. It was just a matter of how bad it was going to be. Uh, so, you know, I hope we can identify red flags like that again. And I'm very happy that today uh, uh, we, we have really stringent requirements. It's, it's hard to get a loan. Uh, it's almost like you got to give them your blood type to get a loan. You have to prove you have the ability to repay. You can't use these non-conventional products anymore. You can't even pick the appraiser anymore. It's all randomly assigned appraisers now. Appraisers are getting sued for coming in too high. It's very, very tense now. Like It's almost gone too far uh, to where it's it's contributing to housing being difficult for people to get into. That makes makes a lot lot of sense. Institutional investor, have you guys followed the story with uh, Wall Street bets and what's going on with the SEC reporting? And I haven't really kept up with it a lot, but Devin, I know you are. Yeah, I know. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I I mean, I read the entire report Uh, with the the dark holes and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a bottom line of of the report. Uh, First, uh, every retail investor is pissed off at the report. 
uh, who's you know interested in the GameStop saga because retail investors want to see Vlad guillotined. Okay, we'll just call it like it is. That's that's what retail GameStop investors want because they feel he's the guy who ultimately turned off the trades and he's the jerk. That's their impression, right? Uh, the SEC looked at this and said, "Hey, look, the reality is this was." I'm mean, just summarizing this here. This was a momentum-driven stock run-up. A short squeeze may have contributed, but was not the reason it went so high. A lack of liquidity was the reason GameStop went so high. There weren't enough shares. Uh, That led more of them to have to go off exchange into dark pools, which increased how much essentially in fees people had to pay for these shares uh, via spreads. And, uh, and that naked shorting wasn't an issue, that gamma squeezes weren't an issue, which usually happens when you ex- have excessive call options, but instead you had put options uh, it blowing up. People were shorting the thing. Uh, obviously, people were selling puts too, but anyway, there were buyers for them. And so you had this, this really essentially just an extreme momentum movement driven by the carrot that there was going to be a mega short squeeze. And even though some short sellers covered, other people placed new short bets. And there are a whole bunch of conspiracies in terms of like, well, the short interest was wrong. Of course it is because it's an estimated number. FINRA reporting was wrong. A lot of the numbers that people, that retail investors try to use, and this is part of the frustration, are just wrong. They're just blatantly wrong numbers. And that's one of the frustrations that retail investors have with the whole GameStop craze. But anyway, the SAC basic, basically, bottom line, said it was a momentum craze. So many people were hodling that there weren't a lot of shares available to actually buy. The stock went through the roof, and uh, and, and then uh, essentially Robinhood uh, and other brokers had to uh, PCO trades, which just means move them position close only, because the requirements from these other departments, like the NSCC, uh, were so stringent on brokers that they would have probably gone bankrupt that so, day if they had to post those numbers. So, Kevin, you're, you're almost saying that it wasn't the hedge funds necessarily getting squeezed and paying these prices. It's the retail traders that almost butted up against themselves, buying up all liquidity, and they're just buying it from each other. Is that yeah. what you're trying to say? Yeah. yeah. Now, now, look, a, a lot of uh, retail investors, I've had lots of debates about this, get very frustrated uh, when I say that. Because, uh, you know, the, the belief is that, no, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, and, and it, don't get me wrong. I think like the Citadels and that, I, I think there's totally like the, the massive potential for collusion and all this sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I covered all of this live day after day after day. And I watched the short interest move. I watched the uh, short interest fall. And, yeah, you'll get bumps in pricing when the short interest falls as, as shorts cover. But nothing like, you know, you don't go from 100% short to 20% short and go from, you know, $10 to $484. Maybe you'd go to like $40 or $50. This $484 was a complete lack of liquidity. That's what it was. Uh, However, the reason you got retail investors coordinated was because of the impression that this was going to be the big short squeeze. Yeah, the Moas, right? The mother of all yep. shorts. The mother of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Which so what's fine. Guess, because if, yeah. if you think about it, what you really need is you need a reason to get everyone coordinated, right? If, if you get everyone coordinated to do one thing, then, then you win. It's kind of like if we literally got 
you know, I don't know, uh, 5,000 people together in Los Angeles, we could pretty much do anything. We could take over the city. You know what I mean? You just say 5,000, you know, coordinated people. You could do whatever you want. Uh, this was potentially up to 900,000 different accounts coordinating uh, in, in, to do one thing, and that's buy and hold on to the stocks. Uh, that's it. Uh, so... You know that that you, you can't you can't like how do you coordinate that again? How are you ever going to do that again? You know that it took so much to make that happen. So you don't think the MOAS is ever going to happen? Oh, it could happen again, but I mean, look at the last time it happened with Volkswagen. It was ten years ago. It's right. it's a you know once a blue moon kind of thing. I mean, I right. I wouldn't be betting on it happening again. I still hold my AMC stock, like I promised. Uh, but, uh, you know, I hold it just to support the movement. Uh, I think it's fundamentally overvalued, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm in it as, as part of the movement. And so I'm very transparent Same. about that. Same. Yeah, Did so you guys you see the, this- the statue that I sent? <laughs> the, oh, the ape statue that's on wall street. I don't know if they did away with it or if it's still there. But, <laughs> <laughs> this is Jeff, crazy. If you want to put that up on the screen. Yes, I will. It's crazy. Hammurabi statue put next to the Wall Street bull. Did you uh, say like Hammurabi? <laughs> yeah. No. Which even Harambe. Grandpa knew. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! What did I say it wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just a different pronunciation. That's that's all. <laughs> uh, whatever. Uh, Harambe. Oh, that's how it's spelled. Okay, I remember that when this happened. Yeah. It, it, like he grabbed the child or whatever, and then it like. Uh, uh, it, I mean, the child was okay, but they ended up having to shoot him. I think I'm pretty sure that's that's what happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many wrong? people did this? Look at this thing. I oh, look at the bananas. Oh wow, Kevin! Okay, I'm going to make you full screen. There you go. Wow, that's so cool. The Harambe statue is supposed to represent how Wall Street has gone bananas. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's clever. That's cool. Not going to lie. That's really cool. <laughs> so is that statue, it's not staying there, right? It, they, they're going to take it away, I'm guessing, that it was just like illegally placed there. There's oh, no way. Yeah. That, yeah. No, it that has would be hilarious to keep it there. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, my bet is someone places it there really late at night, early in the morning. They have it up long enough to take a few pictures of, of it. People right. go and visit it, and within 24 hours, it's probably gone. Right. Uh-huh. That's unfortunate. Uh, well, okay. Okay. So, Andre, why is Bitcoin going up so much, and are we in a crypto bubble? Tell us why we're oh, not. We got, a, we got a Bitcoin already? <laughs> oh, I'm ready, okay. man. Andre, tell Jeremy why it's going to go to zero. So oh yeah, right. let me Zero. let me tell you all the reasons. Tether, and <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> because oh, uh, you know what? Go to the uh, national debt clock or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so we got the ETFs right, which are not the ETFs that we wanted to get. These yeah. are the ETFs that uh, mostly for like traders, not for investors. I didn't really look into the details of how these ETFs work, but I know, um, I know, Kevin, you mentioned a, you did a video on it. And there's two terms that are really complicated. But what was the word? It's like I've never even heard of that word before. In in uh, contango and backwardation. That's right. I was like, what does that even mean? Contango and backwardation. So apparently, these are these 
trading terminologies, which I don't know what any of that means. So, uh, <laughs> Kevin, if you want to clarify what those words mean. Basically, it's a test where if you don't know what the words are, don't yeah. buy the ETF. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, no, these, but I guess that's one of the reasons why people are excited, probably because there's some confusion there, like, oh, that's the ETF, sir. The actual, the big ETF is coming because of this, but that's the reason. Yeah, also, and, and that's because... the, the mainstream media is like stupid about this yeah. because uh, I went on a, a news station in San Diego about it. Uh, and they're like, so Kevin, we finally got a Bitcoin ETF. Tell us about it. And, and so I was like, okay, hold on a second here. When are you the BTF? You know, and, and you got to clarify that this isn't the Bitcoin ETF yet. We're still waiting for that. This is a step towards that. Absolutely, right? It's a step towards uh, cleaner regulation, you know, not bans, regulate, don't ban. Uh, it's a step towards maybe a full Bitcoin ETF, which would actually hold Bitcoin. This is just a futures ETF. It holds it holds contracts. You know, it's like a, it's like an ETF for somebody uh, selling puts on Tesla, and and they're just going to keep rolling those contracts all the time. It's totally different, and you're gonna you're gonna get screwed if you buy and hold it. In my opinion, I mean, not financial advice, but, but just buy crypto. Directly. I, yeah, I just want to step in real quick here before you go, Andre. It, it's interesting to see. Um, Wall Street getting involved with crypto. Just get ready. That? That's all I'm going to say. Oh, well, have you? I don't know if you ever paid attention to what goes on at Wall Street, but uh, they they tend to mess up some things. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, you know, it's I, interesting. I think a lot of people, go ahead. Yeah. A lot of people are really against the hedge funds, right? Where they're like, oh, they're going to tame Bitcoin. They're going to use all of their sorcery to tame Bitcoin's volatility. And I just don't see that happening. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they have no idea what they're doing yet. And I mean, they've publicly said that like, oh, gosh, I just watched a thing with uh, Pompliano, his his podcast with, I forget who, but they were talking about how the studies show that, what was it like 60 or 50% of hedge fund managers said that they weren't even comfortable with Bitcoin because they didn't know enough about buying it. Yeah. That's Dude, the I covered that this morning. That's so yeah. funny. It's insane. Yeah. So yeah. they have no have idea. What That's so crazy. I literally have that report from this morning. It, yeah. uh, and I could pull up the stat. It was like, yeah, you're right. It was like 68% of them are like, oh, yeah, 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 here, here. Oh, my gosh. That, it's literally right in front of me. And I didn't even watch his podcast. Uh, we just must have come across the same, the same thing here. But here it is. Yeah. Uh, I read this this morning. Around a fifth of hedge funds are investing in digital assets. Of, of the ones that are, 3% have money uh, in digital assets. More than yep. 85% of crypto of, of hedge funds, sorry, of those hedge funds intend to deploy more capital. But here, the main obstacles for investing uh, is regulatory uncertainty, 82%, client reputational risk, 77%, and uh, over half respondents said they don't have enough knowledge of digital assets, 64%. That's insane. Hedge funds. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. supposed to be the one making the markets efficient. And they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, well, oh yeah. Gosh. All I'll say is don't put it past Wall Street to figure out a way. Think about what we were just talking about. Remember what we were chatting about, about potential manipulation of stocks. And think about how insanely regulated stocks are. Listen, now Jeremy, imagine. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Eight, yeah. I think over 80% of Bitcoin hasn't moved in like the last year or two. So I don't even think there's liquidity enough for them to manipulate it in that way. It's it's easier to manipulate with less liquidity than more liquidity, just so you know. 
And see, I think, I think a lot of the manipulation is probably happening on the smaller altcoins. I think a lot less of it would be happening with Bitcoin unless it's like a tether, just printing a whole bunch, buying this up. But I, but I don't know enough about that specifically. Yeah, I mean, if, if I buy into a stock that doesn't have much liquidity, I single-handedly will spike the stock, right? Now, if I go ahead and sell out of that and there's not that buying pressure there, I could you know, single-handedly, obviously, uh, shrink that stock. So the more liquidity, actually, the harder it is to manipulate. The less liquidity, I think it's actually much easier to manipulate. Now, now when you say manipulate, I, I think you're right that it's easier to move the price up, but moving it lower, I don't know, man. I think there's way too many BTFDs to uh, let that happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I'm not going to predict either way. I'm just saying like we, we've seen it time and time again. You know, Wall Street comes in and they'll find a way to to mess up everything. Stocks, real <laughs> estate, doesn't matter. They'll, they'll find a way, right? And, well, well, what's uh, interesting is- Way more or less I, regulated. Yeah, well, what's interesting, I, I don't know if you guys have the stats um, and I don't know if Statista is the best place to check, but I, what is the US's um, hash power, right? Hash rate. Because I think we have a, a pretty substantial amount of mining now in the U.S. Yeah, and so our our regulators have every incentive in the world to regulate this properly now that we're kind of in the know that like we're kind of winning now. So with China, you know, there's a lot of, oh, I don't know, this is like China's currency. But, but now that the U.S. has kind of gained a lot more market share, it's in their best interest to understand this and, and, and regulate this properly now that we know that we have a, you know, now that we're a major player in the crypto field. So what is the Statista, Kevin? Do you have those stats um, by country? The hash You know, I mean, if you just do a quick Google on it, the Washington Post as of October 14th, 2021, apparently says the hash rate of the United States for Bitcoin is now 35.4%. That's pretty substantial. I, that's... Actually, that's at the end of August, which is actually interesting because I feel like at the end of August, we were still transitioning out of China. So oh, yeah. No, that number is going to go up from there. That number's, that number's yeah. over 50%, I think, now. Yeah. Yeah. We, so, I mean, we're definitely number one. Yeah. So, so it's not like a China coin anymore, right? So now that the U.S. is in the majority, I just feel like the regulations are going to be much better. Remember hey, Kevin O'Leary? Yeah. Kevin O'Leary would, because you said it's not a China coin anymore. Kevin O'Leary would always say it's a blood coin because yes. like it was a dirty coin. Basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and now that mining is becoming more energy efficient, it's only a matter of time before it becomes compliant enough for these hedge funds to start buying like an, insanely. Because 3% exposure right now, you said, Kevin, that's nothing. 3%? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Imagine once they bump it up to 5 6%. Oh, it'd be insane. Good point. No, uh, I know your exposure to what is it, ten percent, Kevin, right now? Yeah, almost, almost. Uh, it's like nine, nine and a bit. Uh, I, I'm bullish on crypto for now. Uh, I'm worried that uh, when in the future, uh, and and I know people think it's just like it's just fud, 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 fud. Uh, it might be, but uh, it's it's a real doubt. Uh, and that's that what happens when when and if we finally go to a deflationary direction again. Like imagine in in five years, we're like, holy crap, we need to print more money. We are having negative inflation like CPI is like, you know, we're waking up at 530 in the morning going, oh, my gosh, it's coming in a 2.1 negative instead of, you know, 1.5 negative expected. Like, Kevin, I don't think they're no going to do that. I would be nowhere. I would be shocked. 
Well, first of all, it's any, not and, up to them. But I think as soon as we get close to that, as soon as there's any risk of that, they're going to find a way to avoid it. They're going to bring down rates. They're going to find something else to pump money into. They're, they're going to find some reason never to get us there. We'll see, man. I'm putting a lot gonna, of faith in them to do that. Oh, you know what's going to happen, Graham? We're going to have transitory deflation. <laughs> <laughs> to achieve, so, we, so here's what they want. To achieve the long-term 2%, we're going to ride inflation to 10 really quick and go to negative two. <laughs> and the average is going to be two, but uh, and we'll a call lot of inflation, it, a lot of deflation. And we'll call it fate, flexible <laughs> average inflation targeting. That's actually the right. acronym. Oh yeah, God. we're going to go into uh, NERPs, negative interest rate policies. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I totally think that mature economies will always uh, rotate into the direction of deflation. You can look at Japan first, then you look at Europe, and we're next. Mm. You think we're going to go negative? Oh, we, I mean, in our lifetimes, we will go negative. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, how soon it'll happen, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Jeremy, did you buy some Bitcoin yet? Oh, I knew you were going to go there. Uh, Come on. You got got problems on your hands, Andre. I don't think you realize this. Tell me. So you got guys like Kevin and Graham who are not strong hands. They're going to sell. As soon as Bitcoin starts going down, those guys are out. Imagine how many Grahams and Kevins are out there. And now you got Wall Street getting involved. You got got issues on your hand, uh, Andre. And you're already talking about the trillion dollar market cap. Andre, I I am getting the masses. The only issue you have, Andre, is if you want your Lamborghini to be blue, <laughs> orange, yeah. or yellow. That's yes. a that's a tough issue right there. Do you want the carbon ceramic brakes or not? <laughs> Which one? Thank you. <laughs> that's your only issue is uh, can you get can you get it delivered by uh, end of the year, or will you have to wait until January? Jeremy, even if the price of Bitcoin, let's say, goes to like $100,000 or $150,000 or $200,000, right? There's going to be so much FOMOing going into it. And even if it crashes 80%, like it does, and it probably will, there's going to be so many new sticky people sticking around understanding what Bitcoin is that's not going to be related or tied to the price target. Just like every bull cycle, every cycle we have, there's more and more people joining the industry. So I mean, yeah, we're going to have another crash. We're going to have another run-up, but it's just going to be a repetition of the same thing, and the next cycle is going to go even higher. So I'm just wondering how many cycles does Bitcoin have to go through before you're like, hmm, (laughs) there must be something here other than just like price speculation. Well, yeah, I'm still waiting for that day when we see something there (laughs) other than price speculation. So, uh, you know, I've just been waiting for a long, long time, Andre, and I'm I'm still waiting. But uh, Okay. Okay. You know, like, 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 okay, Graham's a very, very conservative investor and he's in Bitcoin now. So how many more people you got to win, Andre, if you're getting those sorts of investors in like a Graham who's ultra conservative, well, that, you know, that's like, what I'm, I'm saying, saying more how, people, but. how is it that I was able to convince Graham and I can't convince you because you're not as conservative as Graham. Mm-hmm. You are more of a risk taker. What am I missing? It's true. It's true. But, uh, yeah. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop. 
and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive. And that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. I'm just, I'm just still trying to figure out you know, if everybody's still going to be this jacked up about Bitcoin specifically, or if we're going to move on to other cryptos by that time. You, you know, know what's let, know. Let, let's talk. Interesting. Kevin, I, I just sent you an article. I'd love for you to pull this up. I was doing yeah. some research. Uh, I think it was yesterday on, on Bitcoin. This is an article I found posted in early 2013. So wait, like Rick Falkvingay, right? I've seen this guy like six, seven years ago as well. Yeah. yeah. I'll pull this up. I just want to say, you know, I kind of think Graham's investments are a little riskier because they actually go up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so check right, this right. out. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to make you full screen here. Look at yeah. this. Post of 2013. The target value for Bitcoin is not some $50 or $100,000. It's 100000 to a million. Wow. Yeah. And Wait, let's, let's start with the comments. Oh, uh, wow. They're there the from 2013. Look at that. Yeah, this is crazy. crazy. We'll see soon. Wow. Typically, it it has typically taken 10 years from proof of concept to mainstream usability from 2013. Wow. And he's right. Yeah. (laughs) But what's interesting is that if what's funny and kind of unfortunate is that once Bitcoin gets to that price point, it's it kind of comes at a cost, right? It's not like, oh, cool. We're all wealthy now. It's almost the same way how, how Michael Burry was right about the real estate crash. And it's like, you almost don't want to be right for Bitcoin to go to a million because that means that something has gone terribly wrong in our I economy. Don't think so. I think Listen, I think our economy could continue running as it is now and Bitcoin could find a way to climb. No, for sure. But I'm just saying if Bitcoin's at a million dollars a piece, I guarantee you things like real estate and everything else is just going to be so much more that what not, what one Bitcoin buys today is not going to be the same once Bitcoin's a million. But this could take another 10, 15 years. And all it takes is people holding this as a bit of their reserve. Like instead of an emergency fund, people use Bitcoin. Instead of corporations right. holding on to excess cash, they'll 5% Bitcoin, 6% Bitcoin. What was it? Even even Kathy, Kathy Wood here, I'll, I'll keep Kevin there. Even Kathy Wood was saying for $500,000, just big companies would have to put 5%. I think it was like 5 to 7%. Oh, yeah. No, it's reserves. a very relatively little amount of money for sure. So, okay, here, I'll pull it back up a sec. <clears throat> the problem is his entire, 
let me make sure it's a he. This Rick, yeah. This entire person's thesis is, and they and they say it's their guess. Okay, their title was good, but their entire article is wrong. Their entire article is about how Bitcoin's going to become a transactional currency, and if it's worth a certain percentage of our transactional currency market, the total addressable, you know, transactional market. That's a mouthful. Uh, then, mm. then we can identify this as a global market. And if Bitcoin captures a certain percentage, then maybe it would have a certain trillion dollar value depending on that percentage. They are basing this on Bitcoin becoming a transactional tool. It did not. It became more of that depreciating uh, uh, supply, digital, that limited supply, digital gold, right? So the title was right. And, and this was not bad. My prediction of a mainstream breakthrough around the year 2019 remains not bad. Happened probably, at, I mean, 19 helped, good, yeah. But the big break was probably, I'd say, end of 2020. Uh, but hey, you know, I, I'd have to say for an article written in 13, the title's not horrible. Uh, the approximate date of, of just picking six years down the road, not horrible. The thesis, wrong, but he hodled. And so ultimately, he did the right thing. I think it's too early to tell whether he's wrong or right. I think it's too early for, for us to know if Bitcoin can become an M, M2, right? Global currency supply. It's too early because we don't have lightning yet. And, and if we do, then that could pave the way for it to become an actual currency. But so far, Kevin's right. It's The narrative is that it's a store of value, which sort of uh, puts a hard cap on it for about $10 trillion because that's what gold market cap is, right? So... I, but I still think it's too early to tell. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. So what's uh crypto market cap at right now? The whole thing. Two, two, and, a half, two and a half trillion dollars. Two and a half trillion. Oh, two and a half trillion. Jeez. You, you yeah. still feel like that's just a drop in, drop in the ocean, essentially, Andre. What do you mean? Well, like that's just a small number compared to where it's going to be, let's say in three years from now, five years from now. I don't know. What do you mean small? Like, uh, like, I, mean, I, like I mean, where do you see crypto market cap being, you know, let's just say five years from now, um, you know, is it gonna be like, yeah, like 10 trillion, a hundred trillion, like, uh, you know, I'd be, uh, I'd be shocked if it, I'd be shocked if it wasn't around 10 trillion. Okay. So you think just about a four X over the next five years is roughly what I, I would say that's a very bearish conservative Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's more bearish. Well, let me ask you, what's more of a, a bullish uh, scenario for you? Uh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to sound like a moon boy. I have no yeah. idea. It's anybody's guess. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I, think, I, have, I think you should plan for being realistic. I don't want to plan for being like, you know, ultra bullish to where it's like, you know, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. But I think yeah. it, it's conservative to say that it could 4x from here, which is more than you could say about virtually any stock that probably any of us hold right now. Other yeah, than I maybe always, Tesla, well, now, what's, I what's actually interesting, though, while we're on the topic of Bitcoin, is that uh, since 2017, actually 16, Ethereum has gone up more every single year than Bitcoin yeah. by almost about double. So whatever yeah. return you've seen in Bitcoin, Ethereum has almost doubled that consistently since 2016. Not to mention that Ethereum's price trajectory has always lagged bit Bitcoins by 12 months. So if 2020 
I guess, 2021. Yeah, 2020 is when uh, we, what, had Bitcoin go up substantially, 2021? Yeah. Ethereum yeah. should be next year. Um, and and all, the, all the signs are there. The, you know, the migration to proof of stake, the issuance rate cut by 90%. It, it's going to go yeah. insane. It, I wouldn't so, be, sh- I'd be shocked if it didn't triple by next year. So that's why I like the strategy of buying both. And then that way, it's like, well, if Bitcoin goes up, great, you're in it. If Ethereum goes up more, well, you're in it too. And diversifying between those top two, I think is, is pretty, I don't know, I think it's pretty conservative with a small part of your portfolio. I, I'm still working on Jeremy. to try. I, I want to get him to 3%. Jer, I, Jeremy, I think if you buy one Bitcoin, just one, you will see it. That's okay. it. And you own one Bitcoin. That's I'll, it. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll buy one Bitcoin right now, Graham. If you make a strong argument on, on why Bitcoin is undervalued at $1.2 trillion. So. Well, uh, you know what? My, my internet's cutting out here. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Upstart? What does that do? I, think, I don't know. <laughs> I think, honestly, as people lose trust in the, uh, the entire financial system, I, I don't think they trust... Hedge funds, I think a younger generation is less interested in the stock market as they are crypto. And I could see it heading in the direction that uh, just like, you know, throughout the 1970s, Warren Buffett was all about value investing. Tech came along. There's no way to value that in relation to growth companies it's, it's, or, or in terms of like the brick and mortar businesses. It's a lot different. They, they use a different metric. I think we're shifting from that. We're integrating cryptocurrency in this that we we don't really have a metric to, to analyze what it's worth. <clears throat> but I think when you look at just how many large corporations are integrating this, that are placing a small portion of their portfolio and testing this out. And uh, and you found a lot of the time they're doing this, they're, they're adding to their position. They're, they're buying more. I just can't see how this won't continue. And that's not to say that we might not drop 80% at some point. I, I would be shocked if we don't see another at least 50% drop. Who knows when that's going to be. But I think if we looked at this over 10 years, I would be very surprised if it's not higher today. And um, that, that that's my argument. And the thing is, too, if, if, there, if there are conservative analysts out there who say that adding 3 to 5% of Bitcoin to your portfolio will help with stability and provide outsized returns compared to bonds. I can't argue against that. It just, it, it seems like it just makes sense. So at least for me, like when it started, I wanted, I want to take the 1% chance and be in it and lose 1%, then not take 1% and miss out in the event that one turns to 10. So it started with that. And the, the more I got into it, the more I just, I've enjoyed it. I've really liked it. And so just like I buy with the S&P 500, I've been putting about a thousand a day between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Just and it, it just depends on the day. I mean, it's like some days will be you know a thousand Ethereum, some days a thousand Bitcoins. Yeah, it, whatever I feel in the day, it doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah five thousand a week is is how much I've been putting in on average. Some days more than that, but yeah, I just want to build it up to five, and I'm basically there. And I want to take it to eight. Yeah, no, Sorry. and I could understand. I can understand enjoying it because it's going up, right? Everett's fun. No, even when it was going down, Jeremy, uh, the, the highest price that I bought that I bought in, I started buying at like 29 to 30. That's when I started buying. That was in January. Rode it all the way up to, I think, uh, 55 to 58 is when I stopped buying. I saw it hit 58. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, let me let me just play it easy. It dropped all the way back down to 30. 
when it hit 55 was when I started buying back in again, because I'm like, I already bought it at 50. I may as well buy it more at 55. I bought all the way down. I enjoyed it just as much buying all the way down. And when it hit about 30, I was buying just as much. And then started going back up. I kept buying. So I, I lost on the, on the, on the lots that I bought at 55, but I, that's it. I enjoyed it. There, there was a brief moment when it hit 30 that I was down overall. I was down like 10%. I mean, it wasn't much, but I kept buying. It didn't get less enjoyable for me. Yeah. I, I think you spoke on a few points there. The, the Kathy Wood point around corporations. And that's something I was talking about quite a while ago in regards to MSTR stock, because it, yeah, if corporations just want to keep buying in, obviously it's a great thing for Bitcoin. Um, the, the main issue is still around like, like how do you value these things? And I think that's, that's always the part that's troubled me is like, how do you put a value on this and, and that? Um, and I think that's, that's where the frustration part comes in. And I think that's where, um, yeah, I, I think that's just where, where the frustrating part is, um, is around how to actually value these things. Right. Because all of us are, are you know, kind of trained to put a certain value on something. You don't just say, uh, whatever that is, I'll just buy it. Right. Like we know roughly a value of a house. So we wouldn't just go up to that house and be like, I don't care what you are. We're going to buy you. Uh, but that's kind of what you're doing with Bitcoin. You're kind of basically saying, I don't know. I think you're going to be worth a lot more in the future. So give me, give me you. Jeremy, uh, if you could go back in time and build yourself a time machine to buy uh, central park, would you have? Well, absolutely. And I would have bought Bitcoin Why? too. Because <laughs> it went up a lot of value. But why that that still holds your? How would you? How do you value Central Park back in the day? It was a patch of grass. People that were buying it back then were idiots. It didn't produce anything. Why? Why would you buy that? Yeah, but you could also say the same thing about people that bought a lot of things over time and they didn't become valuable, right? A lot of stocks. But, but that's not the question. I'm just saying, why would you buy it? Based on your theory, you should have just said no. I wouldn't because it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know how to value it. And you, you just were, said you that you would. Hold on. You just said that you would because you saw catalysts because you had a time machine that it would be more valuable. You didn't answer your own question that you understood why it was the value that it was. And so if it's a matter of a catalyst of moving it higher in value, I think we can both agree that if you buy Bitcoin now and institutions are coming, hedge funds are coming, banks are coming, countries are coming. Wouldn't you agree with us in saying that if if the allocation for hedge funds is like three percent that it would easily go to four percent and five percent and it could easily double if we know that to be the case and you said yes to the time machine to buying central park why wouldn't you say no to this well it goes for the same reason i don't own gold right I don't buy gold. I don't own gold. Uh, everybody says you should own gold as part of your portfolio. That's been what I was taught since I started learning about money in 2008, 2009. Own a certain amount of gold in your portfolio um, because it's going to likely go up in value and institutions want to buy it and people want to buy it. But, but gold, sorry, but gold, yeah. you're right, has actually returned like negative 99%, I think, in the last five years or something like ridiculous. No, it's so, still, you still made money. But, Why would you compare gold to Bitcoin, though? Well, because at the end of the day, those are two things that I just don't think um, produce a lot of value, like like a company, like a business that actually produces profits from it, right? Produces revenue. Um, and so that's that's where we always go back to that thing. And that's why I don't own gold. You don't see me. Where's my gold and silver? Everybody's supposed to own gold and silver in their portfolio. I don't do it. So but why would you then buy the Central Park thing in my example? Because it went up a lot. Right. 
So just like I would go back in time and buy buy Bitcoin if I could. Everybody wants to make as much money as possible. But, but, but when it comes we are to your in that park, when when it comes to your Central Park thesis, here's where it gets it gets you know a little confused, right? Okay. If you're the first person to ever buy Central Park, which you'd probably want to buy around Central Park since they kind of designated that as a non-use area. If you want to buy the, the, the area right about, around Central Park, you were taking a huge risk, right? No one really knew like what that was valued at. But over time, you could you know, like assign a value to that and be like, I think it's going to be worth this over time because this property, the land should be worth this. If I build apartments on it, I should be able to get this much for rent. If I build commercial on it, I can get this much for rent. It'll produce this much cash flows and give me this sort of return on investment. And so that's where I think that's not the, the greatest example. I understand your point you're making here, but, um, you know, I think when it comes to commodities, which I don't mm. want to call Bitcoin a commodity, I just think it's, um, you know, I, I'm just, it's not my game and it's not something I, I think, you know, I want to participate in. Well, that's fine. In that case, I just wish that if I were to ask you why you don't want to buy Bitcoin, your answer would be more subjective to yourself because I think the way we're arguing about it now is more objective. And I think when it comes to objective facts, as far as what Bitcoin's use case is, and like you said, we could stake Bitcoin, we can earn interest on it. Countries are buying it as a hedge. Like there's so many use case against it or, or for it. I, I don't think you can say that it, it has nothing going for it. And so I think for people watching, I, I just want them to understand that the reason you don't want to invest in this is because maybe your risk tolerance is not that or you don't you know what I'm saying? It's like subjective to you, which is perfectly fine because I have those too. Like there's cryptos that I don't buy for the exact same reasons you're saying, but they're subjective to me and not necessarily yeah. objective to the facts. If that it makes comes sense. back to two things. It comes back to valuation and it comes back mm. to real world use cases. So mm. that's what it comes down to. And I just don't. No, if Bitcoin's going to truly be the best, it, let's say it's used as an actual currency, which used to be the pitch for Bitcoin, right? Which it's not now, but let's say it no. is. How is Bitcoin a better use of for currency than some other cryptos? So, I can answer that. Okay. Because of decentralization. There is no other crypto on earth that is as decentralized as, as Bitcoin is. And when it comes to money, and by the way, this is not to say that Bitcoin is the best simply because it's decentralized. Inherently, no one cares about decentralization. Like retail people, customers, they, just, they don't care. They just want to use something that they understand. But when it comes to the application of money, you want a money that is decentralized and owned by nobody. That is just one of the factors that people admire the most. It's just the decentralization aspect of it I, at the I, end I, of the day. Yeah, I, I could definitely push back against that. Um, I, I don't think that's really the, the best route. And also the, the main thing when it comes to using something as a currency is the fact that it's stable. That's the main thing. Like, why does anybody right. want to not use their currency? Because it's not stable. And when Bitcoin's right. going from 30K to 60K to 30K to, you right. know, or whatever, obviously it's cool if it, gets, if it goes up. But what about those down cycles where your money's worth well, half? The, the thing about free market currencies is like, unlike fiat, which is to rule by decree, you can't just drop a fiat currency. You can't just drop a money and just say, hey, guys, it's stable now. Now, a government can do that. But when it comes to a free market money, no one decides its value. And so what's going on right now is just one chapter in Bitcoin's life where what Bitcoin is doing right now is it's sucking up like a vacuum all of the bad money around the globe. 
the dollar, like the yen, the euro, all of that. It's just just gobbling it up. And that's what gives it that instability and that volatility. Now, over time, as it becomes larger and sucks up all of this trash money, that's when it becomes more stable. Now, how long is that going to take? I don't know. How much money does that have to suck up before we start to say, hey, this is relatively stable. I'm not going to 3x my investment. I, I want to spend it. At that point, it then becomes a, something, something we can spend. But you can't just drop a free market currency and say, here's what it's worth. Go use it. It just doesn't work like that. It's, it's, it's an evolutionary process. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, you, I think the main point you brought up that was a good one is kind of being a vacuum for money because it is like essentially people are, are, you know, including you guys, if you own Bitcoin directly, you know, you're trading your dollars for Bitcoin. So, um, no, that, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I think it still doesn't necessarily address my points, but I think um, it makes a lot of sense. And if Bitcoin continues to, you know, become more relevant, becomes, uh, you know, a stable thing over time. There's no doubt um, the story there can make sense. But the question is, does it get there? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But that's just not something I'm willing to participate in. Um, right. Because of the risk associated, right? Given the risk associated with not being able to truly value it the way I would want to value it. So, But did I answer the stability portion, hopefully? What's that again? Did I, did I somewhat answer the stability part? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you still, I think at the end of the day, you still get to see it play out though, you know? Right. Um, but I can definitely understand it. There was another point I was going to make in regards to that, but um, yeah, Kevin Graham, you guys are, are awfully quiet. You guys want to jump in and, and get sorry for interrupting you. You forgetting uh, your point. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm just letting Andre do all the speaking. Uh, I'm just saying, just go by a little bit. Kevin, Kevin, if you don't have anything productive to add, Graham, let's go, Kevin. Uh, I think crypto is mostly worthless. Uh, I think it's uh, mostly speculation right now. It's driven by our hope that one day it will be worth something. That's one of the things that makes it so hard to value is uh, the, the uses we have for it now for Bitcoin, Ethereum, aren't really replacing something we can't do more efficiently with traditional finances. We have hope that at some point in the future, this crap will actually work better. And that's what we're speculating on. Uh, you know, the, the idea that countries are using it is because their currencies suck even more. <laughs> you know, you're, so you're trading, you're trading a, a crappy banking system or, or a crappy currency for something that actually is still kind of generally worthless, but a little bit less worthless. <laughs> but for now, in the future, I think there'll be some more actual value. I, I think Kevin's kind of a, a happy medium between you and me, Andre, I think almost. So <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that's what Kevin truly believes, but I do think that this he is just true. said it. I don't he's know. I think he's more on my look, side. Listen, I, I think it's that an I feel accurate like that's, I think what it's a, an that's what a governor would say. A governor would give the answer like yes. Kevin because yes. either way, that, that's that's he's it's right. Politics, like, it's, it's overvalued now. But <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Before Andre addresses anything that you just said there, Kevin, clear this up. Are you BSing us? Or are you being truthful? What's going on? No, here I'm serious. I, I'm serious. I, I look. I obviously believe I have enough hopium inside of me. I've you know injected enough. To, uh, to support the movement, to support the cause, and to have belief. But right now, it's freaking worthless. <laughs> okay. All right, Andre, what do you have to say about that? 
Well, I, I think it's hard to, to say it's worthless because you, you could make the same point about hopium for literally anything you buy, whether it's stocks or anything else. Like, how do you know Tesla or any other company is going to do well in the future? I mean, you hope based I injected on, a lot yeah, of hope. A lot of hopium, right. <laughs> anything. You could make that point about anything. Um, but I guess to- Except for real Kevin, estate. Because right? <laughs> inherent value, right? In, inherent, uh, yeah. Gosh, this is such a can of worms we could open. <laughs> All right. So so against Kevin's point, I think Kevin said that it's kind of worthless because it doesn't do anything better than our current system. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I think it does yeah. a lot. No, I think it already does a lot better than our current system. If it didn't yet, then it wouldn't even have the value that it does now. It had to, it has to be better already. Wait, 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 Andre, Andre, uh, you, yeah. you got to expand on this. How does it do better than our current system? How is Bitcoin better than a U.S. dollar in our entire economic system? Well, to start with, maybe not the dollar, but let me just start a little bit before that. Um, so Bitcoin gives us the, like the power over our money, right? The power over value. It, it democratizes that. And so it also decentralizes it such that there are no middlemen in the system. And I think we could all agree the fact that credit card companies are, are the middlemen. And there's so many intermediaries in our financial system that I think crypto does away with that. Is that not a better system to have a, a direct person-to-person connection in terms of transferring value than a system where there are corporations sucking money out of the system for their own profit? Is that is that not a better alternative? No. No? Okay. I'm just wrong. I mean, it, to some degree, <laughs> the miners are are the ones taking our profits. You know, like they're, I they're the about security guards. <laughs> they're the security guards, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they're yeah. the money suckers. That's what they are. They're the money security guards. <laughs> Sorry, but, where are we going after this? What else no, do you want to Okay, look, Andre, I'll, I'll give it to you. Like, you can transfer. I can send you Bitcoin much easier from across the world to transfer value to you. Uh, with Bitcoin than I can with uh, financial instruments that we have now. Uh, Without now permission, can... you don't need permission from other banks. You don't have to wait until the bank right. opens once you know, on the weekends. That's there's a yes. lot of benefit. Yeah. So so that that's a functionality, right? The mm-hmm. more so so that makes Bitcoin slightly less worthless. The the more of those things we get, the better. Uh, you know, I mean, like what's what? How much? If I had to pay uh, right now uh, a, a fee, an annual fee, and let's say I lived in Brazil and I needed to send uh, you know, currency to the United States 12 times a year, how much would I pay to have a service do that for me instantaneously, right? Whether that was some company doing it on a loan for me or whatever. And then if we added up all the people in, like me in that situation uh, and then multiplied it by that fee, that would be the value of that for Bitcoin. I would venture to guess that that wouldn't be very high. It would be a fraction of of the market cap that Bitcoin has right now. That that difference needs to be filled out by either hope or utility. And uh, the utility could be the belief that it's a store of value. Okay, maybe that's half of it, right? Maybe it's the belief that it's an inflation hedge. Hey, those are things that that do create value to some people. Uh, In the future, though, I'm really optimistic for crypto having a lot of functionality that's better than traditional finance. Well, I that's, why, that that's what Facebook. I look forward to. I think you could say that about Facebook, though. How do you assign its multi... Is it a trillion-dollar market cap company yet? Um, 
Is, is it trillion dollars? Oh, I don't know. Not it's roughly. We, sure. we could go off net income, though, in those sure. sorts of metrics. But um, I mean, you can say, what is the value per user? 958? All right, so it's basically a trillion. Value per high- user is $38 per quarter. And how many users does it have? <laughs> Over a billion. Yeah, multi-billion. So the point is, the point is, does it add up to a trillion dollars? I'm guessing that it doesn't. Oh, no, there's no way because you have right. you have future earnings that you're pricing into it. Right. That's the equivalent of me comparing Bitcoin to Facebook. It's the same value that you assign to Bitcoin based upon its transfer value is yeah. the same way that I'm assigning value to Facebook, which would, I think, make just as much sense. So oh, yeah, there I has agree. to be something, right? There has to be something that we're, like you said, filling in the gap. And for me, I think it's that network effect of Bitcoin and, and the companies and the trust that it's built and the and the wallets and just so many intangible things that are, I think, very difficult to place a value on, direct value. Like you would to Facebook, it's hard. Like how do you assign its trillion dollar values based on per user, per its capability, what it could earn 10 years from now? Either way, there's some hopium involved that you have to take that chance and believe that it might make that much money 10 years from now. Well, so, I think one of the big questions, Andre, is do you view Bitcoin as a currency, as a security, or um, as a commodity? Why does it matter? Yeah, well, because really usually matters. if you're going to consider something an asset, like you're buying it because you believe it's going to go up over time, you have to assign it an asset class, right? And so is it more an asset class of like commodity, a currency, or is it I think more- it's a new asset class. It's a cryptocurrency, right? Um, and even some people are saying that Bitcoin's not even a cryptocurrency. They're saying stable coins are cryptocurrencies. They're saying that uh, crypto or Bitcoin is a new asset class that represents digital ownership in the d- digital space, like he, ownership of a unique asset that could never be replicated. It's like it's a new asset class that some people are assigning it. Um, we can go really deep in that, but I don't think it matters so much which asset it is. It, it's its own thing. Yeah, I, I think people don't want to put it toward any class because they don't want to get into the same valuation arguments that the other classes mm-hmm. are in. Because, but couldn't, I mean, you say, couldn't you say that about any any other emerging asset class before it was a thing? Like, let's say if, if, if commodities were the first asset class, right, like the elements, the gold and things like that. And let's say that there was a new asset class where you could uh, purchase shares of an ownership of the thing that I'm making money with. And mm-hmm. if I was the commodity guy, I might be like, yeah, but which asset class would you group that into? The commodities, right? It just doesn't make sense. It, it's kind of like, why would you, why does that matter? It's, it's yeah, like, what well, it's more it? like, what is the view of it? Uh, I guess you can mm-hmm. say like, is it, it doesn't, you don't have to put it into one of those classes and say, here it is. It's, it's absolutely a security or it's absolutely a, a currency or it's absolutely, but it's like more, what are you viewing it toward? I guess you can say, and it sounds to me personally, at least that you're viewing it more toward a currency. It doesn't mean it has to be all the way over there. It can be a cryptocurrency, right? But it sounds like you're almost viewing it a little more toward that than you would a security, which the, the SEC's talked about it. it. Are these securities? Are they, you know, commodities or are they currencies? And I'm just trying to figure out like, what would you put it closer to? I think it has elements of many things. I think it has elements of commodity. I think it has elements of currency. It has elements of a lot of things. Um, so I, I don't know. It's hard to answer that question. I think it has elements, crossover elements of a lot of those. 
Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to value because you're, you're trying to assign a template of commodities or currencies and you're like, well, this thing doesn't follow this model and therefore it's useless. And I don't think you can equate them the same way. Well, that, that, that's kind of where we get into uh, some more trouble because I know you and a lot of people have said have gone back to gold. Gold is mm. 10 trillion. Here's where we're at. We're going to grow at least as big as gold. So comparing against a commodity. And so it's like, well, is it commodity? But then it's like, well, there's this currency story. So that's where I'm trying to, you know, I understand like there's multiple right. things. Right. That's that's why it's hard. But I think the narrative of Bitcoin is it is a store of value and that it's supposed to replace gold. So we can at least somewhat equate the two. But gold doesn't have the same potential to be a currency in today's world as Bitcoin does. And so, again, it has elements of both uh, or a lot of things. So it's again, it's, it's you can't assign a template model to it. And I, I don't think you, it matters to the to its value that you do. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Um, where's regulation going, in your opinion, uh, in this whole situation? Well, I kind of liked what uh, Gary Gensler said, where he's he said it's like you know when automobiles started to become popular, it was it was because people started to put you know stop signs and and seat belts and and uh, roads, and once it became safe, that's when owning a car became such a you know publicly adopted thing. So it's the same with Bitcoin. It's, as long as we get those regulations and clear rules, I think it gives people that safety net of of a belief system. It's like, oh, wow, this is cool. I could own this. Like, it's protected now. I feel safe. And so that's where I think it's ultimately going. Why are they having so much trouble, um, you know, with the regulation? Is it because it's decentralized? Like, it just seems like it's taking forever. Hmm. Yeah, I just think that they don't understand how it works and they just don't understand the implications of what it is to regulate it out of existence because it's like, how much business do we lose? And if, if it's if they you know, if they're too fast with regulation, then it just becomes restricted. Uh, and, and if you don't regulate it enough, then it just becomes like this crazy free market where it's it hurts people. So and I just don't think they understand because I'll tell you this. I, I'm not going to say I'm like super tech savvy, but I would say I'm relatively tech savvy, like pretty, pretty well. And I've been in Bitcoin since like 2014. And I'm still like every day I'm like, I'm an idiot. I, there's so much I don't know about it that I'm still learning. And I'm a millennial that's on the computer 24 seven studying it. So if, if, if that's my position, imagine how a regulator that's like 70 years old who is on the internet, like once a month feels about this, that that's how I imagine yeah. why we're so slow. Kevin, do you have any opinion on how they should regulate or not regulate? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, I, I think uh, I think it personally, I think it's a security. I think uh, regulation is actually going to help give it more value because it's going to open the door to utility. Um, I agree that uh, calling it worthless is probably a little too far. Uh, that's just mentally my my processing uh, point for it because I look at it as, as something that I can trade and something that uh, will hopefully fulfill uh, it's uh, utility in the future, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's uh, it's very much like a stock. Uh, you you can invest in it. Uh, you, sure, you could use it as a currency. I mean, in some sense, it's almost that. like I'd be able to send someone a stock certificate. <laughs> so, I, look, I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree. It's very much traded now like a security. Like people are buying this the same as they would a stock, really just to represent ownership in whatever this idea is at a lot and a lot of it is junk 
uh, honestly. But there are a few good projects out there. But I believe the way it is now, the fact that people are able to start their own currency, they call it a currency, they get their own regulation, it's traded like a security. So I think it should probably be regulated like a security in most cases. Um, did we lose Andre? Yeah, apparently. All right. Well, anyway, that's that's my thought on that. We had the heat on them too much. No, but uh, okay. So that's interesting because, yeah, both you guys feel like it's more of a security than, than anything else. So, and Andre didn't want to put it in any class. So, um, interesting. So, anyways, we, we probably should wrap up unless you guys got anything else we, we forgot to chat about. Tonight. Yeah, we should probably do a reminder, Jeremy, that your favorite five stocks are down below in the description. So, I wait would a minute. This battle is not over. I'm back. It's, it's, my oh no! My computer was dying, and I had to plug it in, and so I switched. Ah, uh, sure, sure, sure. What I was else just want to fight with me, Andre. About? I was I was just telling everybody to go and check out Jeremy's five favorite stocks down below in the description. Yeah, if you want to make less missed... money, <laughs> and you this missed year. it, Andre. You, uh, these no, guys. I said... heard everything. I was here. I was here. Oh, okay. They said it's a security, and and yeah. So you, the you way got... it trades is a security, and I think it has elements of that. And I think it has elements of a commodity and it has elements of a currency. And so I just think that's an arbitrary thing. Like it's the equivalent of asking, well, what, what do you call it though? What, what, what's its ticker symbol? Huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think, I think we got to pick up on this debate next week because I think that's a, I think it's a fair debate because what the regulators are really trying to do, they're trying to figure out this exact question we're talking about. Do we regulate it as a security, a commodity, or a currency, and I think that's a I think that's a good argument. We should all think about this over the next week, and um, at some point next week's episode, we should debate this and talk about this a little bit because that's exactly what's going on from the government right now. They're trying. And I to guarantee you that the final settlement, which is not a story that's going to end in the next decade, is going to be a progression of all of these different asset classes that they will incorporate, and that's why it's its own asset class. Is that they're not going to take a built-in template of what exists. They're going to take elements of what they understand and create its own little sub asset class that they can follow. That's what's going to end up happening. Well, yeah, Kevin told me about an outside the box idea that you're only going to be able to hear on next week's episode of Millennial Money. Don't forget to smash so, the thumbs up and gotta subscribe. Sure to subscribe. Got to make sure to subscribe so you make sure to, uh, to stay tuned on that. Check out Jeremy's five stocks so that that way we'll be able to actually see very shortly which one of us so far has performed. So we'll be able to track that next week. We'll look at the performance over the last month, and then we could maybe come back to this after like another month or two and see how my stock picks did really well. No, the, the, the performance starts now, Graham, because now they're all out there. So it starts today and moves on. Yeah, but you, but you gave this a month ago, so we'd be able to see, see who's is up so far. So with that said, you guys, thank you so much for watching. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe button. We got the Clips channel down below in the description as well. You can sign up and uh, see Jeremy's stock picks. Really appreciate it. Hit the like button again. Thank you so much for watching and until next time. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.